Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Regular. My name is Asan, and this week I am joined by a, a longtime friend of mine. <laughs> he is a uh, an accomplished musician. Uh, he is a father. He's a husband. Uh, but most importantly to this conversation, he is a uh, medical professional. He is a pharmacist uh, here in sunny Southern California. Uh, he's a good brother of mine. Uh, please welcome to the show, Quasi. What's up, Quasi? Hey, what's going on, Hassan? Uh, good to be on the show. Longtime listener, first time, I guess, the guest. I appreciate uh, the call. <laughs> Dude, I appreciate you joining uh, the show today. Uh, I guess we'll call you Dr. Quasi. Uh, I give everybody a nickname, so we'll call you Dr. Quasi. Does that work? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Now, now, because I'm not too familiar with like how what what it takes to become a pharmacist. So, like, how long have you been a pharmacist, and like, what did it? What kind of schooling does that require? Um, well, as far as uh, becoming a pharmacist, I'll say I've, I've been a pharmacist uh, for about eight years now. I graduated pharmacy school in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, became licensed uh, towards the end of that year, beginning of 2013. So, actually, about seven seven to eight years. Okay. Um, as far as schooling goes, um, you basically have to finish pharmacy school, which is usually four years after completing like an undergraduate degree. So basically, you graduate high school, you go to college, you either get a college degree or you have to complete the prerequisites to get into pharmacy school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. once you get in, it's uh, some schools are three years where you go to school all year round for three years. And then some schools like the school that I went to. Um, you go for four years, but you have your summers off. And usually what you do in your summers is you get like an internship in a pharmacy somewhere and you kind of work and learn how working in a pharmacy goes. So it's about at the most four years after college. Got you. Okay. So got you. So about eight years total of higher education. Right. Okay, great. Um, and, and not only, so I think this might be interesting to know. So not only are you a medical professional, but you are also, you're seven day Adventist, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm seven day Adventist. Okay. So, and, uh, I don't, I don't know if you, so did you go to Loma Linda university? Is that where you went to, to school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where I graduated pharmacy school from. And Loma Linda, if for people who don't know is a, is a small, uh, town, I guess in, Southern California and in like it's in San Bernardino County or Riverside County, uh, San Bernardino County, San Bernardino County. And it is it is uh, it is a seven day Adventist town, right? It was like founded by seven day Adventist. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's actually come to think of it. Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, it's there's a, there's people that are seven day Adventist and not seven day Adventist that live in the town. Of now, course. But of I course. believe it was kind of uh, started around uh, the hospital that they built at the mm-hmm. time. It was called like a sanitarium. Oh. Um, which is like an old word for for a hospital where people would go to get better. They would, you know, do all sorts of like treatments on them, but like like bloodletting uh, and demon exercising <laughs> and stuff like that. Weird stuff, eating uh, cornflakes and things like that for nutrition and things like that. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, the guy that started uh, cornflakes, uh, I can't remember his first initials, but his last name is Kellogg. Right. But yeah, he, uh, he was one of the people that pioneered. Uh, this this uh, cornflakes technology and they use it a lot at the sanitarium so uh, but yeah the, the town is kind of built around the hospital similar to mm-hmm. how like towns are built around colleges right uh, um and it's kind of grown as the hospital's grown right so there's the loma linda hospital and then there's also the loma linda university right 
Yeah, yeah, it's okay. just the university that's attached to the hospital. They have a bunch of schools, mostly healthcare related. Right. Um, but there are some other schools. I think they have like a a school of religion there. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of other schools. I can't remember the names, you know, but a bunch of stuff, you know, psychology, marriage and family therapy. And then, of course, like school of medicine, pharmacy, dentistry, gotcha. nursing, things like that. And so Loma Linda, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it's like a, it's one of those blue zones, right, where the people live to like 300 years old. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was on the it was on the documentary, yeah, uh-huh. and it's it's really funny. Like you, if you go to the gym like really early in the morning, you'll see like all of those three hundred year old people, and they're all like working out and stuff. Too. It's actually really fascinating. They all get together and they have workout classes and lift weights and play uh-huh. basketball, and they're like they're like ninety. It's it's really fascinating. So, what do you think? It, what do you think it is about the sort of the culture of the Seventh Day Adventist denomination that correlates with like these blue zones and people living a long time to be honest man like i don't really know like i I watched the documentary and you know like there was a group in japan that lived like one way and then there was a group in like Mm -hmm. italy and like the italians it was really funny because like they like ate red meat Mm -hmm. you know they smoked they drank wine but it was like you know they were still living like a super long time Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they came to California and like most of the people that are, you know, like living really long, you know, they're vegetarian, you know, they have like a strong belief in faith. And it was just interesting because they kind of talked about some of the similarities between the groups. Um, Mm -hmm. No doubt. I'm sure like, you know, the researchers are people smarter than me. You know, they say, you know, you got to have like a belief system. You know, you got to eat healthy. You got to have regular exercise, have Mm -hmm. like a good family community, things like that. Um, So I think those are the things that contribute to it but i don't know if it's something that's you know contribute like directly contributed to like the seven day adventist faith or the area of the country or anything like that but mm-hmm. definitely having a belief system definitely having a community and you know the weather's really good here and people seem to be pretty laid back in southern california so i guess that all comes into play yeah i i think yeah i mean if i were to speculate i would think it has a lot to do with um having something to live for and and having something that's like a motivating force for you to to um that that really drives you to like live and compels you to want to like do things uh you know not not necessarily always you know healthy things because you know you know as you said you know italian the italian lifestyle like doesn't always necessarily facilitate the healthiest things i mean they're eating pounds of pasta and and in oil and stuff all day but i think having something that motivates you that um that gives you a sense of purpose or like gives you something to look forward to or something to to like to do i think is is hugely important to to living a long life i think becoming stagnant is like almost more of a death sentence than eating terrible food you know to (laughs) obviously to a certain extent Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I got to put the disclaimer in there. Right. Don't don't go and eat whatever you want. And yeah. And uh, think you can exercise it out. But yeah, I mean, honestly, that is a good point. You know, you have that purpose in life and it really goes a long way to your longevity. Right. Well, that's that's dope. Um, Also, so I wanted to ask you this. So I've noticed so I, you know, as a musician and as you know, as a friend and uh, like I've spent some time some time around the Seventh Day Adventist community, like in and like in you know San Bernardino County, Riverside County, and all of that. And it seems like there's a lot of uh, like yourself. There's a lot of um, immigrants from from uh, like Africa and um, 
certain parts of like um what am i thinking of like the west indies and stuff like that like there's a lot of like uh the children in jamaica there's a lot of like you know at, let's just call them you know african people from around the world that that mm-hmm. tend to be that tend to be drawn to the seven day adventist like sort of community where does where does that correlation stem from and i i i you know, you may not be uh, the most, the foremost authority on the Seventh Day Adventist history of the church, but I just think that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually, you know, I guess as far back as I can trace it, um, because I have been doing a lot of reading on this. But you're right, I'm 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 not an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, I can kind of talk a little bit about the African experience for sure, just studying my own mm-hmm. family. And history. you're Ghanaian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. From Ghana, West Africa, um, a couple countries down from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, just finished, by the way, you know, just want to give a shout out to my my homeland. We just finished the presidential election, you know, hey. very little violence. It was actually really smooth. Um, the incumbent president. You uh, know what? I, I would I would be happy to say the same thing about my country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we managed That's to funny. we I'll barely be... managed to do the same thing. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> and in Africa, you know, it's kind of a rarity to have, you know, the only smooth elections are the ones where the president has been president for like 34 years. You know what I mean? So, right. I mean, just the fact that, you know, like we can have like a smooth election is something that at the, these days I don't even take it for granted. Right. Uh, you still have family but, uh, in Ghana? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, most of my parents direct uh, siblings, uh, the ones that are still alive, they uh, uh-huh. they live back there. And when's the last time you were in the motherland? Oh, man, it's been a it's been a while, man. Like mm-hmm. since I think 2007, we went uh we went back there. Um, we did the touristy thing. Went to like the Kakum National Forest, and we went to Elmina Castle, where like the slaves were held and stuff. It was really uh, mm. it was exhilarating, man. It's uh, it's it's just great out there, man. And Ghana is one of the places where people are really starting to go back. They have a movement to try to get African Americans, especially, to go back and experience the heritage. And there's a lot of people that are going back there and staying. Yeah, I'm familiar with the I'm familiar with the teachings of Dr. Umar as well. <laughs> 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 i'm just kidding but, uh, <laughs> but um as far as like the the his the like the history like the religious history out there um i think it really kind of boils down to um the effect that um you know colonization yeah colonization and then the subsequent um infiltration like, infiltration is such a bad word but it's like uh the you know I can't even remember the word now, but the people that travel to other countries, missionaries, missionaries, there you go. My bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we had a lot of, you know, missionary presence um, in Western Africa, of course, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's the closest part of Africa to America. So, you know, it's a shorter boat ride than going to Ethiopia or or Mm -hmm. South South Africa or something like that. I'm assuming these these missionaries were coming from Europe. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, Europe, um, the Americas, maybe, I mean, they were, they were European and, you know, they're Caucasian people. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure whether it was only Europe. I'm sure there were some Americans that came through and from other countries do as you, well. But now this, this may be a crazy question, but do you think that the term missionary sex comes from like, <laughs> has the same roots as like missionary, like missionaries? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but that, you know, that's what I think, you know, I've, I've heard rumors. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't you know, confirm or deny that that's the truth though. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just imagine like, you know, some, you know, people are just chilling in Ghana and then these white people get off these boats and they're like, we're here to bring you the good news of your Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And to rebuke sex from behind. 
<laughs> and and the weird thing about it is, and this is actually something that I learned just about Ghana. I'm not sure if this relates to other countries, but in Ghana, um, we actually had uh, we. I mean, we're we're Christian, so I guess I can start you know using like Judeo Christian concepts. Uh, but uh, uh, we please actually feel free to alienate like a, a giant portion of my audience. <laughs> I'm, I'm just sorry. kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to qualify it, you know, just in case you know, people don't believe. Go you know, for the it. Same. Go for it. But uh, but uh, we actually had like a had like a we had a, a concept of God in Ghana before even the missionaries came. Um, this is something that I learned just in the way Ghanaian uh, people are named. So one thing that's interesting and probably not unique to the Ghanaian culture, but especially with Ghanaians, like the day of the week that you're born determines like your name. So like, for example, my name is pronounced Kwesi and mm -hmm. Kwesi means I'm a boy. I'm a male that was born on Sunday. And we have mm -hmm. names for all of the different all of the different uh, days of the week. So, uh, are there just millions of people from Ghana named Quasi? <laughs> no, no. Sometimes people use the name as like a family name. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people are named after other people. My parents, uh, just because we were born in America, they decided to give us the the basic day of the week name. Gotcha. But the interesting thing about it is um, the. We have like the regular days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But Saturday, the name of the person, like, and, and the way that we name the days are based off of those um, names. So, for example, Kwesi is a male born on Sunday, and we call Kwesi Kwesiada, which is like the day of Kwesi or the mm, day of Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, but Saturday, the name for a male born on Saturday is Kwame. So, I don't know if you've ever met anybody with the name Kwame. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. What Kwame means, but the name uh, of Saturday is actually called, and I, I'm probably going to butcher this pronunciation, but it's called Miminida, which means I am that I am's day. Um, and if you like are, you know, like a biblical scholar who, uh, you know, the Lord's day, huh? yeah, right. So it's like a, the, the Sabbath. Name that God, yeah, the Sabbath. So it's, gotcha. it's very interesting how like that name has kind of persisted over generations uh, before even missionaries came to Ghana. We already kind of had this I am that I am's day. But that being said, I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, as far as like uh, the Christian uh, mm -hmm. Seventh-day Adventist um, migration of immigrants coming from all different parts of the country, I'm pretty sure like missionaries had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Um, and I was listening to a podcast earlier in the week and it was just interesting. Linguistics is very interesting to me. Like if I could start my whole life, if I could live like if if um, uh, reincarnation was a thing and you could and you just kept reincarnating and you could choose how you reincarnate. I would, I, these are a lot of qualifiers. I know I'm asking for a lot, but uh, <laughs> if reincarnation was a thing and I could live another life uh, on earth and I could choose that life, I think I would be like a linguistics scholar um, and just yeah. kind of travel the world and like research linguistics and stuff. Cause language is really interesting to me because it's like language is like, it's not just a it's not just a bunch of grunts and noises that we make with our mouths. It's like language like that's the top layer, but the layer below is like language is the metaphor that we ascribe to all things. You know what I mean? Like it is it yeah. is the 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 most agreed upon metaphor that we have. It's, you know, if you see, if you see if you see a chair over there, that thing that you're pointing at isn't a chair. It's a thing that you sit on that you call a chair so that we can agree on what we're both seeing. Like, I think that's really interesting to me. So then when you start thinking of like bigger, like concepts than chair, even though chairs are a pretty, pretty good concept when you've had a long day, but like when you start thinking about higher concepts, like God, you look, you know, in, in English, you know, you talk, you talk about phrases like I am that I am and things like that. But if you, if you, if you, uh, 
the reason this jumped out at me was um, I was listening to a podcast and they mentioned that uh, the article, like, so like the article, like, you know how we have articles like the in English or in like Spanish, it's L in, in French. It's, I think it's uh, no uh, in Italian. It's it, I like I L ill or something like that. In, in Arabic, it's a L like I'll, so the name Allah for God is, you know, the etymology is similar to I am that I am because it's like the root of Allah is the, is that sort of that I am article, that, that, that article, that state of being article type, like the, you know what I mean? It's the great the, like the great, I don't know, that stuff's kind of interesting to me. No, it's, it's crazy how, how, uh. I mean, none of us are old enough to go back to the beginnings of these religions, but uh, I know. you kind of scratch a little bit or dig a little bit, and there's a lot of a lot of similarities that uh, you don't really think about. Yeah, it's almost as if uh, they're all trying <laughs> to speak to the same ex- uh, the same uh, foundational experience of existence. But that's neither here nor there, quasi. Um, <laughs> um, enough heresy. Let's get to uh, let's get to some medicine stuff. Um, so, uh, you are a pharmacist. Uh, in one of, uh, and where do you, what city do you want to say? What, what city that you work in? Um, well, it's interesting. I, I work like all over Cali- Southern California. I've worked, you know, as far North as Bakersfield. So explain um, that. How do you, how do you, are you traveling pharmacists? How does that work? Um, well, when I first started off my career, um, I worked at Walmart. I worked in the pharmacy at Walmart. Um, I started off, um, in the Palm desert area mm-hmm. and that's where I got my first, uh, my first job. And, Basically, I, I, uh, and that's I a red zone. And... People die very young there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. And then, um, I, uh, I got married and, um, I moved to Bakersfield because thank you. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a big accomplishment. It I is. Guess. My parents tell me, right. <laughs> is your, is your wife also Ghanaian? Uh, no, she's from Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Okay. Got mm-hmm. you. Got you. Yeah. So that's the land of diamonds. Right. Um, As Kanye yeah. has uh, informed us all. <laughs> can can I ask you a question? This is kind of a tangent, but like my this podcast is kind of known for this. Um, so when you see Africa, uh, like and, and I say Africa, like meaning, you know, African cultures of to varying degrees. I know you are. I know African culture is not a monolith. Um, but I just, you know, uh, in American movies, we don't, <laughs> there's not a lot of nuance typically when showing cultures from other places around the world. But when you see like, um, African cultures depicted in movies and stuff like that, does it resonate with you? Like, do you get like a little tingly feeling? Like, for example, for example, when like, so if I see a movie, right. And there's like, say it's take, it takes place in LA or like, you know, even more rare if it takes place in the Inland Empire and you see something that, or it's shot there, not necessarily takes place, but it's shot there. And you see something that you recognize or something that's like familiar to you, you know, you kind of get that, like, you know, your neurons start firing a little bit. You're like, Oh, you, you know, your ears perk up a little bit. It's like, Oh, I know that. Like, Oh, that's familiar to me. Like when you see like African culture stuff, like depicted in movies, you know, does that like, do you feel like a kind of a kinship with that? Does it kind of resonate with you at all? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, like what was Black I, Panther like for you watching that movie? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm only half joking because I'm not even like of direct, uh, you know, African descent. My African heritage is very removed. Um, but even even watching that, I felt like a, a resonance, like watching that movie. How, how was that experience for you? Okay, so it's actually interesting that you mentioned that. So one thing that I noticed when watching Black Panther was um, you kind of 
start to get an ear for the different accents and you kind of start to learn like um who which what was the ethnicity of the vocal coach that coached all of these actors right Mm -hmm. so like lupita you know she's from kenya i believe she's from east east africa Mm -hmm. i can't remember which country um i don't want to get it wrong on the air for everybody to hear but uh, basically (laughs) we are taking notes we are judging you quite harshly i'm just kidding (laughs) yeah she's she's from kenya kenyan and mexicans uh so i i for her, like, I don't think it, there was that much coaching, but for like Chadwick Bozeman, like you could hear like his accent was very close to like Southern Africa. Like he sounded like someone who was trying to speak like Mandela, like someone who was playing mm, Mandela. In like a trying movie. to do a South African or, thing. Right. Whereas uh, like M'Baku, his character was, I could tell it was like nigerian it was very close to nigerian and i'm not nigerian but i have a lot of friends who are from nigeria and it, and it just like resonated so when you talk about like tingly feelings and like ears perking up for me it was the accents and uh and i was just kind of trying to place everybody based on how they were talking so when mbaku, mbaku had his lines i was just like oh man I, I know a dude that talks just like that and so that's what resonated for me um unfortunately as far as like a, a lot of the other stuff like the imagery and like the animals and kind of the nature aspects of it it's really weird because a lot of that stuff kind of uh, i mean africa all over africa we have like great like nature and great scenes and things like that but when i went to ghana to visit my family we spent a lot of time in the cities and then we would travel to like where my parents grew up and those are more like villages with like dirt roads and things like that but we never got a lot of opportunities to really like be in nature like that. Um, I'm not saying Ghana doesn't have that, but it's just weird because it didn't resonate for me because we didn't spend so much time because we have so much family there and everybody mm-hmm. wanted to see us when we were there that we spend most times either going from one person's house to the next person's house mm-hmm. or going to like a, doing a touristy thing. So unfortunately I didn't really get, next time I go, I'm going to try to, you know, like get away and kind of just be someplace where it's quiet, try to find like the Kauai of, of Ghana or something like that. So unfortunately I didn't get that last time. Uh have you you've been to Kauai? Yeah, yeah, I've been to Kauai. It's really really nice. It is it's amazing. I I've been to Hawaii once and that and I, I the island I went to was Kauai and it was it was beautiful. Yeah, it's the only one I've been to as well. Um it's the one that everybody told me and my wife when we went there it was it was a quiet it was a the quiet island. And did we you go to the uh absolutely. did you go to that ranch where they film everything and do the ATV tour? <laughs> No, man, like my wife wanted to go, but I I I didn't wanna I didn't wanna do that. I don't know. For some reason I I didn't want to do anything except kind of just be lazy and, and eat and go. Oh, to the, to oh, the qu- oh quasi, you gotta go back. It is so fun. I like I was skeptical at first too. I was like, man, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to get out here and kill myself. But no, dude, it was so fun. Like it, it like this is the most fun thing I ever did. Like you get to ride an ATV across that field where like the all the uh the dinosaurs, like you see all the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park for the first time, and they're like running across the like the field. Like you get to drive an ATV across that. It was amazing. Yeah, I definitely missed out. And uh, my wife reminds me pretty frequently whenever we see something involving Kauai or Hawaii. She's like, "Man, that could that could have been us." Every time you see every time you see uh, a movie with the rock in it, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, man. I can't live it down. <laughs> you watching Jumanji with your kid? She's like, "Mm hmm, mm hmm, exactly." <laughs> You that's, already know, man. That's funny. <laughs> well, all right. So that's that's cool. That's interesting. I think people will appreciate to know a little bit about a little bit more about you. All right. So let's let's get into the the topic of conversation that is uh, at hand for almost everybody right now. We are um, at the time that we're recording this. It's uh, early December. 
Um, and we keep hearing um, more and more rumblings about this uh, potential. Uh, well, I don't even know if it's potential anymore. It seems like it's a, a pretty a real thing. Uh, this this COVID-19 vaccine. Now, let, let's just start because I'm just assuming that my audience is like me and doesn't know a thing about this. So vaccines, how do they like what are the different kinds like major kinds of vaccines? How do they typically work? And then like, what are some of the major vaccines that are like kinds of vaccines that are being um, talked about for for the this novel coronavirus? Okay, so as far as like the typical kind of vaccines that you'll see, like the flu vaccine or like MMR, like the measles, mumps, rubella one, or like the vaccine for even like polio. A lot of the, the, the most, most of the vaccines that are made now are what are known as inactivated vaccines, um, where basically it's like the virus or whatever it is that you're trying to protect yourself from. And it's like a weakened version of it. Um, and basically they combine that with a bunch of other chemicals that I'm sure if you wanted to find out about it, you could go on Google and read about all the different things that are terrible for you in vaccines. Um, well, but like what, Quasi? To- Le- like what? Let's not, <laughs> d- let's not, br- let's, let's not breeze completely over this because I don't want to give, uh, I don't want to give, I, I want to be, f- I, I, you know, I take responsibility for the information that reaches the five people who listen to this podcast. And I don't want, I, I, I just, I don't want to um, misrepresent uh, or uh, I want to be as thorough as possible with presenting this. So we don't have to get into like the, the Latin etymology of all of these, these chemicals that find their way into vaccines, but what are some of the kinds of chemicals that are common in vaccines that, you know, that in your opinion, as a medical professional, um, might be more risky or perfectly harmless. Like, let, can we get into a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a bunch of different types of uh, ingredients. Of uh, I can think of six off the top of my head. So some of them are preservatives. Um, okay. So they basically serve to prevent contamination of the vaccine. So it's similar to like what you would what you would eat, like if you're not eating, if you're not growing your tomatoes in your backyard, you buy it from a store or something like that, there's going to be some level of trying to protect it from going bad while it's on the shelf. Right. Like, um, like with anything, any kind of food that we eat, any kind of like, you know, right. Those preservatives are in everything, right? Right. Correct. I mean, they're in a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's why they're in vaccines. Just basically to kind of make sure that those vaccines don't get contaminated before you inject, someone injects it into you. Basically. Of course. Um, then you also have things like stabilizers, which uh, allow your allow the vaccine to kind of keep its chemical state um, mm-hmm. after it gets manufactured. Uh, so there's some drugs like uh, I can think of like insulin, um, where if you shake it or if you keep it in a place that's too hot, you actually it it, it changes the way the chemical structure of the insulin is, oh, wow. and it actually. What, what it is, is it denatures it because insulin is a protein. Um, and so basically it changes the chemical structure so that way it doesn't work the way you want it to work. And mm. so what these vaccines do is they put stabilizers, things like gelatin or other types of like sugars to kind of make sure that it stays chemically sound. Mm-hmm. So that way it stays effective. Um, you have other things like um, adjuvants is what they're called. Um, so something like uh, aluminum salts, I think is the word that I remember from pharmacy school, but basically it like just that, helps to, it helps to irritate your body to, to induce that immune response, which is what you're looking for when you're trying to mm-hmm. take a vaccine. So now it is, actually kind of, is that the like same stuff the that's in deodorant that people are like, Oh, you got to use natural deodorant. 
um, I think deodorant is uh, aluminum hydroxide is what's in that, oh, okay. um, the antiperspirant. So I'm not sure if it's exactly the same thing, but gotcha. it's probably like aluminum mixed with or like combined with some other element in order to kind of irritate your immune system enough to get that immune response. Right. That's basically what we're trying to do with vaccines. We're, we're lifting weights, basically. So it's like you mm -hmm. want to if you want to get bigger muscles, you got to lift heavier weights. And so this is the vaccines way of kind of getting you to lift heavier it's telling your body like one more rep. right it's the equivalent of of when you lift a heavy weight you're, you mean you're tearing your muscle fibers so that they'll grow back bigger yeah. and stronger that's what the vaccine is doing essentially right and yeah when you take a vaccine you're actually supposed to get an immune response so things like a fever um mm -hmm. which is your one of your body's ways of breaking down uh foreign objects by raising your temperature um, other things like if you get like a stuffy nose when you get a cold, that's your body actually sending immune uh, responders like T cells, white blood cells to that area um, because that's where they're actually doing battle with the antigen or the right. the thing that your body's trying to fight against. So stuffy nose, mucus, sneezing, those are all things that your body does naturally when they're when you're trying to fight something. You know, um, I've there's a sorry. I was just going to say, um, just a quick note there. Don't, don't lose your train of thought. Um, I've always thought about stuff like this, um, in terms of like, you know, how we like a lot of drugs and you stop me if I'm wrong, but a lot of drugs are basically designed to trigger a certain immune response that like maybe your body isn't currently equipped to handle right now. Um, and I always thought that like, what it like, and I'm sure there's people researching this, but like, you know, most, most of our, most, if not all of our bodily functions are at some level controlled by our brain. So like, what if like, you know, could a complex mapping of the brain and like figuring out what controls what, like, could we trigger those things like without a drug and maybe with some kind of electrical stimulation, you know what I mean? Like find out which neuron or synapse or whatever the word is like controls, you know, you know, uh, certain immune responses and been able to be able to trigger those without, um, medications that have other kind of, um, byproducts in them, you know, just using our body's own, you know, um, biochemistry sort of nervous system to respond. I don't know. Is that, is that something possible or am I way off? Well, here's the thing. So, I mean, I'm not sure about like acting directly on the brain to cause this stuff, but it's really interesting that you mentioned that because when I was reading about how these coronavirus vaccines work, it's actually a step closer to that. So actually the way that they make these coronavirus vaccines, they're not actually using a weakened version of COVID to mm -hmm. stimulate that immune response. What they're actually doing is they actually have this thing called mRNA, which is basically like a message that goes into your cells and it tells your cells, it basically tells your cells um, nucleus or the DNA to create a type of protein. Mm -hmm. And it basically, it tells your cells to create this protein that protein is actually a piece of the coronavirus virus that our body recognizes as bad. Mm -hmm. And so just that, that piece of the virus gets created, not the whole coronavirus, just that piece. Our body sees it and then our bodies start to build antibodies or make antibodies just because we're seeing that piece of the virus that we know right. is bad. And so, so it's sort you. of like it's like a hack. So it's not necessarily like uh, something like an electrical stimulus, but it's basically like how can we get it mm -hmm. where we can kind of trick our body into getting this immune response without actually giving people the actual thing that's bad for them. Right. Because that, that's how viruses to... work in the first place. Right. They attack the DNA of your cells and tell the, your cells to make more of the contaminated version. Right. Uh, that's how that's how viruses work. Right. Yeah. So, right. Um, for example, like um, HIV. 
um, or even like a rhinovirus. That's basically what it does. And your body recognizes it and then your body sends stuff to fight against it. And then what, so what this coronavirus is doing is basically instead of giving you the weakened version for your body to fight against and kind of beat up, it basically tricks your body into getting, it's sort of like steroids. I, I guess I can't think of a really good metaphor, but basically it just, it only gives you the piece that matters. It doesn't give you the whole thing for it to actually cause damage. Right, right. Uh-huh. No, I, I get you. It's like, uh, I, I understand. It's a, there's, a, there's, a me- there's a perfect metaphor out there somewhere, but we don't have to rack our brains to figure it out. But I get what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're we'll we'll leave it to the people smarter smarter than us to come up with the, the metaphor. <laughs> right. Or at least more creative than us. Um, right. <laughs> that's interesting. So with so with the coronavirus, um so I don't want I, I that that was great, but I before we get to the actual coronavirus vaccines, um I, I don't wanna leave so we talked about um the different like um auxiliary chemicals that come in uh, a lot of vaccines. So we had preservatives oh, yeah. We had um, stabilizers, and were there any other chemicals that you wanted to touch on that might be important okay, for uh, people to know about? Of course. So sometimes they have like these uh, residual antibodies in them, like neomycin is one that I can think of, or basically just prevents any kind of contamination by bacteria during the vaccine manufacturing process. So the way I like to think of it is um, similar to like what we do with milk sometimes when we pasteurize it while we're kind of processing it to sell it. Um, sometimes you have to minimize the amount of bacteria in that processing process. Mm-hmm. So uh, I said process way too many times there, my That's bad. Uh, but basically, um, at the end of the day, it's like uh, it's antibiotics that most people aren't allergic to. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not they're not they're basically just used to make sure that the the vaccine is pure and it there's no like bacteria in it when you uh, mm-hmm. when you take it. Um, other stuff is like, you know, cell culture materials. So like a lot of these vaccines that have to use like actual uh, weakened versions of viruses and stuff, mm-hmm. um, they have to grow them in like eggs. So uh, right. when they're taking, when they're isolating that piece of vaccine from the egg, or that, that piece of virus, excuse me, from the egg or like whatever. Like human uh, eggs? There's, uh, no, like chicken. chicken oh, okay. And basically they have to take the stuff out of the egg. And sometimes there's like residual like protein or like, I guess, uh, cell cultures from that egg. And basically um, it's just protein based off how it was grown. Um, mm-hmm. And we basically just use the, those cell materials basically to grow the virus or bacteria to make the vaccine. You see, there's so that's a, why some- uh, there's a, uh, there's a really cool premise for a, a, like a superhero movie in here somewhere <laughs> for a chicken man or something. <laughs> like he gets the wrong piece of residual chicken DNA in his vir- antivirus, and it like it it tells his cells to mutate and turn into chicken cells. Yeah, like a radioactive chicken. Egg. Yeah. All right, <laughs> I'm into that. But okay, and then so, of course. Oh, sorry. There's, a, there's one. There's there's one more. It's like a, inactivating ingredients is the last thing that I remember. And basically, this is like uh, some people have mentioned that like formaldehyde is in vaccines mm-hmm. and uh basically these inactivating ingredients kill uh toxins during the manufacturing process so antibiotics only work with bacteria but there's all obviously other type of microorganisms that could contaminate vaccines when you're manufacturing them um and so basically they use these other um they use these other ingredients to make sure that there are no viruses no bacteria no other kind of toxins like if someone farts in the lab while they're synthesizing it. <laughs> 
I don't know about that, but uh, you want to make sure that uh, it's not contaminated when you when you make it. You know, you got to follow a good right. manufacturing processes when you're making stuff that people are going to take for their health. So. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. So, of all the of those six um, those six major you know other byproducts that may be along for the ride in a vaccine. How many of those, if any, like what is the what is the concern level people should have about their safety with those those chemicals? Like, uh, you know, on a scale from one to ten from like, oh, it's perfectly harmless. It's like taking a sugar pill or like um, it will kill you instantaneously for ten. Well, um, first, first off, I would say. And, and this is just comes from just being a pharmacist, a lot of times you may or may not know anything that you're allergic to. So the first thing that I usually think of when it comes to safety and medications is just allergies, right? So right. you may be allergic to eggs, right? You know, you right. may be allergic to neomycin or you may be allergic to whatever uh, stabilizers in the vaccine. So a lot of times uh, they, they always include all of this information when you're getting vaccines to make sure you're not allergic to neomycin or eggs or whatever. So that's the reason. So the first thing I think of is allergies. That's That should be a concern. Mm -hmm. um, other times, like there's there's a certain controversy around things like the thim thimerosal, the preservative, um, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, it's a form of mercury. Uh, and people believe that, you know, it's, you know, the mercury, you know, if you're taking it, you know, you're poisoning yourself because you're injecting mercury into your veins. Um, from what I know, uh, I believe it's like a mer mercury poisoning is like a, methyl mercury i believe mm -hmm. uh someone i know on the internet they'll probably uh you know they'll probably correct me if i'm wrong but me methyl mercury is the type that causes mercury poisoning whereas mm -hmm. the thimerosal is ethyl mercury so the chemical structure is slightly different um so it's processed differently in your body and it's less likely to build up in your body because it's such a limited amount it's very similar to like i don't know if you uh remember like those times in uh during like when people were making moonshine during like prohibition, but like some of the, some of the alcohol can make you blind. Yeah. It was because like that very small um, distinction in the way the chemical, like when you, when you make a bad batch of moonshine, it's like a different type of alcohol. And when you drink it, it makes you blind. So it's like, it's mm. similar to alcohol, but like the chemical structure is different, just different enough where it causes like a, a difference in how your body processes it. So what, and so that's what, so what is so what's going on then when so what's so you say mercury was in the, the 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 hooch or the moonshine that was making people blind so when you sit too close to the tv and it turns your eyes square what's what's going on there i'm just kidding i don't know you have that yeah <laughs> my mom told me that too and I'd, I'd have to i'd have to say she's probably the expert on on that i, I didn't learn anything about that in school no that <laughs> Yeah, that's that's hilarious. There's there's so many of those things that like remember remember that episode of uh of uh it was either Magic School Bus or Rugrats. I think it was Rugrats. Now that I, I am thinking about it, where like one of the kids swallows a watermelon seed and like the watermelon grows in their stomach. Grows in their stomach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Uh, I was always afraid of that. Uh, I always thought so that was going to happen. Faces or your face will will freeze like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those all those things are are very funny, um, and very terrifying to tell a kid. Um, <laughs> yes uh yeah i mean never mind i was gonna i was gonna make another uh oh, yeah. i was gonna take another can... step into into heresy but it, it's fine we'll keep it moving so so the main thing to worry about with vaccines is to be cautious of this is what i've, I've correct me if i'm wrong but uh allergies is, is is typically what you think of first is people should be uh aware of their 
their allergies if it, you know if they have any if they're going to take a vaccine um is there anything else that you, you should be cautious of when it comes to vaccines um as far as like the in like the individual who's going to go get the vaccine outside mm-hmm. of making sure that you uh you uh, are not allergic to anything in the vaccine. Really, a lot of the stuff is handled by the healthcare professionals. So we have to make sure that the vaccine that we're giving to you is like appropriate for your age or right. your uh, comorbidity. So like, uh, like for example, the flu vaccine, we have specific flu vaccines that are known as live vaccines. They're intranasal, so they like spray it in your nose. But only like young, healthy people can handle like that strong of a virus to to get that immune response. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people who may be older or may have like, you know, diabetes or, you know, COPD or asthma or something like that, we may give you like a more inactivated virus. Mm -hmm. I mean, inactivated vaccine, excuse me. So, uh, I mean, like that stuff is, we kind of go through our checks and balances as healthcare professionals to make sure that we're giving you the right thing. Um, Really, it's- I mean, giving us the thing that George Soros wants us to have (laughs) is what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> but I understand. Never, I understand you can't say that, but I get it. <laughs> I've never met him, so I can't. I can't speak to what he wants or what. He oh, I mean, want. no one ever meets the Don. No one meets the Godfather. <laughs> Not on unless it's this the day of his father's wedding or his daughter's wedding. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I don't know. No comment, man. No comment. Um. Okay. So, um, let's. So, what? That, I guess that's a good bridge to lead us to. What is the sort of the what is the forefront leading um vaccine for COVID-19 what kind of vaccine is it what's what's the what's in the brew what's in the what's in the makeup of it okay so um based off of what I've read so far um there's a bunch of different companies that are making coronavirus vaccines and a lot of them are I mean there's a bunch of different types too right so like Mm -hmm. one that Pfizer and Moderna are making I believe are I know Pfizer for sure. It's the mRNA-based one that I was telling you about. So mm-hmm. it's not the actual virus. It's the piece of the virus that our body recognizes in order to get us to get that immune response. And mm-hmm. it's the one that kind of sends that signal, um, that mRNA signal into your cells to create that piece of the virus that our body needs to kind of be on guard for coronavirus. I, I think um, I thought, of, thought of a perfect metaphor for the mRNA virus. It's kind of like when you go to a shooting range and the paper cutout is of like a bad guy. So it's not an actual bad guy. It's just showing you what the bad guy looks like without any of the danger right. present. But at the same time, it it definitely helps you to, you know, sharpen your aim and get better at being able to react when danger happens. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good, that's a good We did it, Quasi. Yeah. Podcast yeah. over. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So continue. So the Pfizer one, and the, you said the Pfizer one or the Moderna one are mRNA? Uh, I think Pfizer and Moderna gotcha. are the ones that are doing mRNA. And the reason why is because it's a technology that's been out for a while, that's been studied for a little while, but mm-hmm. we don't have any actual vaccines, at least not to my knowledge, that are using this mRNA technology. Gotcha. Um, the thing that's nice about it is, of course, you know, you're not injecting a live virus into your body. And also at right. the same time, um, it, they're a lot faster to make. Um, so that's why Pfizer and Moderna are, are you know, the, the companies that we heard of that were the first ones to actually go through all of like the clinical trials and things like that. Because you don't have to like put this thing in a chicken egg and wait for the chicken egg to, you know, grow before you isolate the piece of vaccine out of it or whatever. Right. It's something that you can, you can make quickly. And do um, Pfizer and Moderna do they are, do they make other drugs that people might be familiar with? Uh, I know Pfizer. I think they make Viagra. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <think> that's hilarious. 
<laughs> and it's uh it's uh the way that they found out about that drug is really fascinating i'll tell you off air like the story behind huh. how they how they stumbled upon what they use it for now it's, i mean you can i mean you could probably just share that story here i think that'd be really funny <laughs> actually okay well i mean like they were investigating uh a drug to help lower people's blood pressure right uh, and that was basically the idea behind it right so they're noticing that everybody in their clinical lab trial, even though their blood pressure is going down a little bit, they're not seeing a big change in their blood pressure, but they're seeing that all of the men have like, you know, erections, <laughs> like a lot of them do. And they're just like, hmm, I think something, I think something's going on. We might be onto something. And so basically they, uh, you know, rebranded, they put in like a new uh, NDA for, and, and they tested it and it was, it was pretty successful. And I think of uh, Viagra is one of those drugs that are known as like a blue whale. So it's something that you're not really testing for. You're not right. trying to solve this problem, but then you solve a different problem. And it's like, it, it just makes so much money that it's obscene. So, so yeah, that was a very lucky do, break. Do that. you think when they were doing the testing of uh, this, this lowering of blood pressure drug that like when they started to notice, like all the men had erections, do you think that they tried to eliminate uh, they tried to establish like a control. So they're like, all right, we got to do, <laughs> we got, we got to swap out the current scientist who's been doing this and put a different scientist to make sure they're not just all attracted to the scientist. <laughs> I, I bet you, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't honestly don't know. I mean, uh, I I've never used Viagra, but I'm pretty sure that they saw that it was a, such a sustained effect and it was such widespread that, you know, you could, you could put any, you could put any scientists in there and you'd probably get the same thing. Gotcha. So maybe they did. Swap I'm science. sure they tested it. I'm sure they had to establish a control. Come on, quasi scientific <laughs> method here. Yeah. That's how we, that's how it's done. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So, uh, Pfizer and Moderna are, uh, makers of the <laughs> makers of Viagra and they're, they're making the, the, these <laughs> MRNA, um, vaccines um are, are there any other ones that are sort of on the on the uh, the cusp uh, that you can think of that you know offhand yeah i know um the one that they're starting to use in uh the uk uh i know that one is i don't i can't remember the company that's making that uh vaccine but basically the one that they're using in the uk i believe it's glass black gsk glaxo smith klein i believe glaxo smith klein mm -hmm. i know i'm not saying that name right but i believe their their vaccine um is slightly different uh, so they're using just the weakened version of the vaccine so they're not using the mrna technology Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm if I'm getting that wrong, but uh, basically those are the kind of the two main tried and tested versions of the vaccine, at least in the countries that you hear about in the news. Like I know in China they got a bunch of different vaccines uh, from a bunch of different companies. I know Russia they got something going on there too. I don't really have a lot of information about that, but I know that the ones that are being used on the countries that we hear about on the news for positive things most times, mm -hmm. a lot of times it's the either the mRNA version or the weakened uh, vaccine version. Gotcha. Okay. So what what is the timing of so it, well before we get into the timing. Um, do you have any um, comments or anything uh, or any information on the 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 so sort of where we're at with the effectiveness of the testing and of these uh, of the like maybe specifically the Pfizer one? Because um, I don't have that information. I don't know anything about this stuff. <laughs> OK, <laughs> well, it's actually kind of interesting that you that you asked me about that. I have uh, actually I have a friend that sent me like the preliminary like results of the of the uh, tests. 
that Pfizer did. So mm-hmm. basically, it took them a while for them to come out with all the data that they that they had when they were um when they were actually testing their vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they said was like their vaccine was like ninety percent effective. I think was the first thing that we heard of. But yeah. then Moderna came out and said that theirs was like ninety four percent effective. And, and what's then, the sample like, size? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, let me see if I can actually find that study. Okay. And I'll and I'll, and I'll tell you. Okay. So like the report is like ninety two pages long. It's like oh, wow. super long. Um, uh, let me see. Well, I guess I appreciate them for being thorough. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want the report to be one page long and it just says, "Yeah, it works pretty good." <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> That's. I mean, like that would be like. A, I think they they don't they don't do that. They rely on like the you know the other people in the media to kind of distill it down for right. regular consumption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let me see. Uh, let's see. Uh, shoot. Oh, I can't find the information like super fast. Um, Try using let's... Ask Jeeves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see. Because I'm, I'm kind of trying to sift through this paper real quick. Or, uh, I mean, I mean, this isn't a science podcast, so you can just what what is likely to be the sample size for a drug like this? Uh, yeah, thousands. I would say probably thousands. Okay. To tens of thousands. Yeah, that's good enough. You don't have to give me the exact number. So thousands of people, right? And I'm sure across yeah. age groups, across genders, across all different kinds of, you know, some people have pre pre existing conditions, things like that. And so when they're oh, testing yeah. the effectiveness of a, so that's the hard part. So when they're testing the effectiveness of a vaccine, what is likely the testing scenario for that? Are they, are they, are they only testing people who don't have the virus like how are they doing this um well i i know that there's different phases to um i guess clinical studies or clinical Mm -hmm. lab studies so first what you got to do is you got to figure out does this stuff even work so specifically for medications you're actually just testing to see does it do what we want it to do like chemically does right just in a lab in like a in like a, a petri dish right or yeah chemically and then sometimes they also move to like animal studies to see if this stuff works um and then after they've basically figured that this thing does what we want it to do the next thing that we got to figure out is does it actually work in the people who will be taking you know this medication or this vaccine Mm -hmm. so uh for the pfizer study i mean like they broke it down so many different ways so like i'm looking at the the demographic characteristics of some of the participants. So obviously they broke it down, you know, like binary, you know, female, male. Um, they they did it based on age. So they had like a group 16 to less than 18, 16 to 55, people that were over 55, people that were over 65, people that were over 75, a bunch of different races, African-American, American Indian, Asian, white, multiracial, um, a bunch of different ethnicities. Um, and then they also did it based off of comorbidities too. So Comorbidities, I would say, are stuff like, you know, diabetes, COPD, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease is what COPD stands for. Um, Also, people that uh, are obese. Mm -hmm. So uh, they basically broke it down and they studied it in as wide a population as they could. Um, I'm pretty sure this for this specific uh, test, they wanted to make sure since all eyes are basically on them, they wanted to, you know, probably have as much robust information as possible because everybody's really going to be picking at it and making sure that it's safe and it's just something that you know it's it happened way faster than vaccines usually come out Mm -hmm. Uh, and so everybody wants to make sure that it's safe because everybody really really 
wants to kind of move past coronavirus. All right. Do you now, as a healthcare professional and as a pharmacist specifically, do you, someone who deals with medications a lot, do you personally have any reservations when it comes to um, um, your willingness to take such a vaccine? Um, me personally, no. Uh, but this is a very interesting question. And I will also have to qualify my no simply because I'm not someone who works on the front lines as much anymore mm -hmm. now. So like I have family members who do. Um, and so for the people who are working on the front lines, they're, they're probably going to be one, some of the first groups to actually get this vaccine. Of course, um, because they're the ones that are taking care of people who are COVID positive. Um, so it's going to be uh, frontline healthcare workers, um, for sure, people who are at high risk um, are going to have to take this medication. Mm -hmm. um, and then I believe after, you know, like we've vaccinated people who we think are at the highest risk, um, we'll start to move down and, um, and start to get people who are, um, who are, you know, more healthier, younger. Um, so in my, in my estimation, I don't think I'm going to be, you know, one of the first group of people. So I'll have, I have the benefit of watching and seeing how it's happening with everybody else. And of course, America, we're not even the first one to start vaccinating our citizens. So we're all kind of looking at the UK now to kind of see how things are happening. So for me, right. um, based off of what I've read, I, I think that I should be, I should be good. Um, but then also the fact that I'll be able to kind of look around and see what other people, what other people are doing and, we actually get a lot more information regarding how it's happening in the wild. I, I won't have any reservations. That being said, you know, there are a lot of healthcare professionals uh, that I've, that I've talked to, you know, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not as sure or they're not as confident as. And, as and what are, what are they, what are, if you could speak to them, what are they um, most concerned about the people who are skeptical that you, that you talk well, to? Well, it's, it's, it's just information, right? So, I mean, we all know as healthcare professionals, like we know, like the flu vaccine takes a long time to make. Um, we also know mm -hmm. that as far as this mRNA technology, um, it, it, we haven't seen like a mainstream vaccine actually use this. So there's an uncertainty. Um, mm -hmm. There's also the fact that, you know, the speed of this, the speed of the, the manufacturing of this vaccine, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of times, you have to grow chicken eggs to make flu vaccine it takes a long time to make. Whereas this one, it came out a lot faster and they were able to do like a really, really robust study um, throughout the whole year. So uh, well, doesn't the, the well, doesn't the specificity of the, of the, the specific strain of the virus of the, you know, the specific strain of virus that it's attacking have something to do with that. Isn't the flu, the common flu, like a little bit more robust in terms of its, um, uh, variability. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that people that I've, that I've learned over time is that, uh, the flu vaccine that you get in 2020, um, it's not necessarily the flu that you're going to be facing in 2020. Right. That being said, it's not, it's not like a medication that's going to get you, your body to automatically recognize it. Right. Basically the idea is to get your immune system strong enough. So that way, if it sees something resembling it, it can mount up a resistance strong enough for you to not get too sick. Right. But at the same time, yeah, it takes a long time and it's not, it's like, it's like last year's fashion that you're, that you're getting with the, with the flu vaccine. Sometimes it's good enough, but you know, it depends on your comorbidities, but with, uh, with, with the coronavirus vaccine, it's, it's the, you know, the latest and greatest, but, but because of the speed, sometimes people just, and plus like, there's so much information. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even find in a quick, 
in, in a minute, I couldn't tell you how many people were a part of this study because there's so much information out there and we don't always read all of it and we don't always, you know, we rely on other people to read it and tell us what they think about it. So right. you know, the, the fact that we're all getting information kind of this way and we're not always able to read the, the you know, get it straight from the, mouth, the horse's mouth and then also be able to kind of understand it and take the time to really go through it. I think that's what causes a little bit of the anxiety as well. I think one of the uh, – it's interesting that you bring uh, information and how it's disseminated. I think uh, that's a uh, – not only is it extremely topical for where we are and in, in just in the sort of the conversations surrounding media right now, but I think it's – I think what, if, if one of the main things that I think that this virus, this viral pandemic has taught us as a – really as a world is um, I think that there needs to be – a a um a siloing of of there needs to be a specifically for med- medicine i think that's what this has taught us there needs to be a specific media outlet for health and medicine and 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 all of that that isn't that isn't political that I- that is free to just you know it's a coalition of of med- medical professionals and scientists who disseminate factual information as it comes out, and, and and it doesn't serve any other purpose but to do that and to to um, help people be healthy as healthy as possible. But like we need a separate, I think, a separate media outlet f- specifically for that, to where it's not up to the interpretation of a uh, and th- and I would argue this for a lot of things, not just medicine, but I mean we're talking about medicine right now. I think um, where you know medicine, the the information on medicine and healthcare and well being can be independent of, um, sort of, um, for, uh, forces that are, you know, um, selfish forces that act on, uh, media at large. I think we need a separate sort of entity for that. Um, that would be great. That would be great, man. But it's tough to separate, you know, even medical professionals get, you know, are politically, you know, biased, you know, I mean, like you can watch the news. We had doctors that were proclaiming, you know, the effects of hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, and, but they were know. crazy, though. <laughs> no, I mean, like, these are, I mean, I've been in conversations, you know, these are rational healthcare professionals, uh-huh. you know, um, and they're arguing on social media uh-huh. about whether or not this drug is going to be effective. And, you know, like, they're all MDs, you know, they're all DOs, they're all nurses, they're all pharmacists. And But see, that. so here's the thing. That's why I think it, it has to be, so the problem with that is I don't want to hear from, uh, <laughs> and this is going to sound like a slide to you, but it's not. I don't want to hear from medical, medis, medical practitioners and people who practice medicine about the potential efficacy of something that is in a, a developmental researching phase like i I mean i do want to hear from those people i'm being i'm being um hyperbolic when i say that but i i i think the leading voices should be from the people who are doing the research you know what i'm saying like because those people uh and 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 that's why i think we need more independent researching labs that you know where the 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 efficacy of the drug that they're researching doesn't have to do anything with the lining of their own pockets. Um, that's another thing that we can get it that we don't necessarily need to get into, but I, I think that's a problem. Um, but I, yeah, I think that the people who are researching the drugs first and foremost, who are running the test should be the people 
the leading voices disseminating the information. But oftentimes it's like, like, I don't care what these six, um, you know, general pr- practitioners of family medicine have to say about the efficacy of a viral <laughs> medicine that's still in development. I want to hear from the scientists who are developing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's it's unfortunate, right? Because like you said, a lot of these positions are political, right? Yeah. The, the director of the CDC is a political appointee, right? And I believe the mm-hmm. FDA director is also a political appointee. So these are um, these are our foremost research um, institutions, right? right? The NIH is another one. I'm not exactly sure whether that one is a political appointee, but like, you know, like it's, it's as long as these people are appointed by the president, it's going to be political because the president gets to pick who who he who he or she wants to and, and to me that's i mean so many i mean so much of also of what i think and trust me we're not going to get too far into the politics of this but so much <laughs> of what covid this covid pandemic has taught us too is that how ridiculous some of the responsibilities of the president are and not just for someone who is as absurd a person as donald trump i mean for anyone like for someone yeah. to expect someone to you know, run a million, a multi-million dollar campaign, a popularity contest, essentially, and expect that person to understand who might be the best person to run, you know, the, the, the Department of Homeland Security, and also who might be the best person to run, you know, the, the CDC, like, expect this one person to, like, understand who might be the best candidate for all these different aspects of American society is crazy. Yeah, like that's I mean, nuts. It, the president shouldn't be appointing anyone. <laughs> yeah, it should be. I, I actually agree with you there. Like we should try to make it where it's a little the government is a little bit more easier to manage. Like think about like the transition teams and how much money goes into oh, just transitioning crazy. from one president to the other. It's like millions of dollars. Yeah. Like why is the transition. president appointing the heads yeah, of he things to, he knows nothing about? And it's like, how many different positions do you have to appoint? Like 400, 500 different positions. So all new people, like we should make it where it's something where we have people that are kind of like Fauci, like Mm -hmm. Fauci has been there from president to president to president. So, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say he's not, you know, like biased politically or whatever, but he's someone that has kind of seen both sides of the political tide, so to speak. And, you know, like he's there for the science. Right. Yep. And we need people that are kind of just there to be like, I'm I'm here for energy. You know, yep. I'm here for finance. You know, I don't care who the president is, you know, but so I don't know. Man. I think the perfect analog is so I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Right. And I think the perfect analog is take someone like Jerry Jones, who's the owner uh, and general manager great, of the Dallas great Cowboys. example. Right. <laughs> great example. So Jerry Jones is someone who has built who has inherited and also built a fortune in oil and things like that and he bought the dallas cowboys franchise and turned them into a winning franchise in the 90s right he bought the team in i think 1989 1985 somewhere late late excuse me late 80s 85 somewhere around there he bought the team and then a few years later they were um you know one of the biggest franchises in football um and he did that because he has an understanding of business and 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 he's a you know he's a tycoon right but that doesn't mean he should be deciding who is the starting quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those right. two skill sets are very different. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's correct. It, it's it's nuts. Like then that's essentially what the president is. The president is someone. All right, because the way the president is elected, it selects for someone who's able to convince a lot of people to 
that he has their best interests at heart and convince a lot of people that he that he or she is a is is a person worth liking worth supporting worth voting for which i mean there's something to be said about that skill set but that skill set is not a one-to-one uh analog for all right now this person knows who should be running the center for disease control like those two things are not the same (laughs) yeah that's correct it's crazy i I don't know i just think that's it's just it's it's nuts to me that person also doesn't know when is the best time to use and not use nuclear weapons Right. Like, that's actually a really interesting point, because I heard this story the other day. I was listening to this podcast. And do you remember when uh, Trump in 2016, when Donald Trump was running for president and one of the people that he was running against in the Republican primary was Rick Perry? Mm-hmm. And one of the he was I think he was the governor of Texas. Yep. And one of the things that was really made, like kind of stood out about him was he said when he became president, he was going to eliminate like three like entire departments in the government, right? He, says he couldn't remember the names of them, but he was going to eliminate three of them, right? Yeah. And then a key, later, someone asked him about it, and he said one of the things that he was going to eliminate was the Department of Energy. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know why he said that, but then when Trump became president, who did he pick to be the, the secretary of the Department of Energy? He picked Rick Perry. Um, and That's then crazy. come to find out, <laughs> yeah, really, but then here's the crazier part. Come to find out, which department is the one that actually controls our nuclear arsenal? The Department of Energy. Mm-hmm. So like this person was speaking about eliminating these positions. He didn't know anything about them. And then once he found out about him, he was like, nah, actually, this job is actually really, really important. So oh, man. That just like just just the just the lack of information. And then when you become president elect or when you become president, the amount of information that's just thrown at you from day one, it's mm-hmm. like a fire hose. Like. I think that we could do we would it would be better for America if we made this process easier and when we made it easier for the president to be able to manage these things by not having to reappoint and appoint new people all the time. I, yeah, I think I the, pre- the 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 position of the president is an insane position. I think the country should be ran the executive branch of the government should be ran by a, a team of people who are experts in various things. Like that to me that is like the right. most sane way to go about it but the fact that you have one person who's supposed to understand geopolitical uh you know the nuances of geopolitics uh you know nationwide health like health care concerns they also have to understand energy and that whole sector like it's just crazy yeah like it's just nuts and then that person also has to be popular (laughs) like what they outsource a lot of that stuff too, right? So yeah. like, I don't think Donald Trump knows a lot of the judges that he appointed to like district judge seats, but he right. has some who actually recommends people to him. Um, and then you just, you find out that a lot of the people that have been recommended are all part of like the same group of. Right. And that, and that's, and that's the, 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 the yeah, that's the, the sharp edge of that sword is then it just becomes about, well, who's um, on the same political team as we are. And that, that doesn't do anything. Yeah for the good uh, imagine if you picked a uh imagine if you picked an auto mechanic that way <laughs> well is he a republican like what <laughs> can he fix the car it's not partisan you know what i mean um, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be it's crazy you know. it's really it's really nuts uh but anyway this i mean we don't have to this isn't the daily show we don't have to <laughs> we can get off of our our liberal high horses but um uh, so yes, so we talked about the the vaccines. Okay, so let me talk to you. I wanted to ask you about um, I wanted to ask you about the idea of 
herd immunity because I keep hearing people say this thing, uh, this term. Okay. Um, can you describe what that is for me? All right. So basically, herd immunity is this concept that basically, just to put it um, in like terms that I understand, is basically what happens when a large portion of a community becomes immune to a disease, most times by, uh, you know, directly by direct, um, I guess, intervention, but basically, they are immune to a certain disease. Um, and so mm -hmm. they don't actually get the disease. And it actually makes it harder for people who are not immune to a certain disease to get that disease, because we pass it from one person to the other. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like a human shield against disease, basically. And is there any way that is there any conceivable way in, in, in a modern world that that happens without vaccines? Um, <laughs> that doesn't kill off a majority <laughs> of our population. Uh, I would say it's in my, in my opinion, I would say it's uh vaccines do a great deal to actually kind of enhance that herd immunity. Have there been um, any diseases that have been eradicated without a vaccine? <laughs> no, I, and I'm, no, I'm earnestly asking you this. I'm not making a joke. I, I can't, I can't think of any. Okay. To be honest great. With you. I, I'm just I glad really we understand that. Cause I, I, that was my inclination. I'm like, I don't think you can do that. Like, I don't think diseases just disappear. But um, but I did, I wanted to make sure that I asked you that. Um, yeah, I mean, like if you have a vaccine and everybody knows how to, everybody's body knows how to fight it, right? Then people don't get it, and basically that's how you eradicate it. Gotcha. Well, Quasi, I uh, I appreciate you. I know your time is short today. Um, you got to go out and help save the world um, and get us our our pharmaceutical needs. I appreciate you. We got to have you back on um, in the coming weeks as we start to get more information about how this virus or excuse me, vaccine is going to be disseminated. And and yeah, anytime. Uh, let's let's just have you back to talk about anything. Uh, we can talk about whatever. As uh, as people have found out, we spent the first twenty minutes talking about Africa, and <laughs> I don't mind that at all. Quasi, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it, man. Um, usually, this is the point in the show where uh, if I have someone on that has a, an internet presence, I let them plug their internet presence. I don't know if you want to do that. Um, is there anything that you'd Actually, like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I would just say, uh, you know, I don't have an internet presence at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like to, I used to get in a lot of fights on Facebook all the time and it was really mm. affecting my like personal life. Right. Um, and so I decided to be more of kind of like a, a stalker. So uh -huh. uh, I'm not going to give out any of my stuff. Okay. But uh, I would say if I want to plug anything, I would just say, hey guys, you know, just uh, try to take care of yourself. And if you can't take care of somebody else. All right. Um, should people wear a mask uh, if they're uh, uh, around around other people? <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, the the evidence shows that wearing masks significantly decreases your your chances of getting uh, coronavirus. So I would say definitely wear a mask. Doctor Quasi, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Uh, we'll have you back, and uh, we will see y'all next week. Mm -hmm.